This is the Geopolitics and Empire podcast, and we're talking to retired British diplomat and ambassador to Bahrain and Syria, Peter Ford. He is also the director of the British Syrian Society. We will be discussing the war in Syria, the U.S. and European foreign policy of regime change, the media propaganda that enables it, and what we can expect to see in the future. It's great to have you on, Ambassador Ford. Thank you for having me. I look forward to our dialogue. Yes. And let's get started with the different narratives that exist of the Syrian war, uh, because, you know, the prominent narrative is that it's a civil war. But, you know, you recently gave a speech in the House of Lords, which uh, uh, you sent me uh, a copy. And you explained that, in effect, the war is part of a multi-decade long war on Syria by the West. Uh, we know we have declassified files that go back to 1957, I believe, uh, where the CIA had you know, the, the plan to overthrow Syria, I believe in 1983, in the 80s, there was uh, there were other documents and WikiLeaks in the 2000s as well, uh, released such documents. So can you give us uh, a frank explanation of what really the Syrian war was or is all about? Uh, well, you'll recall in 2011, when everything uh, kicked off in, in Syria, uh, there had been uh, genuine popular uprisings in some other Arab countries, uh, beginning with Tunisia and across uh, North Africa, spreading through Libya and uh, Egypt. And to a large extent, I believe those were uh, genuine um, domestic uh, uprisings. The case of Syria was always going to be different. While those countries in uh, North Africa uh, the sectarian issue hardly applied because uh, the people are almost all uh, Sunni Muslim. Syria is a social and religious mosaic. Uh, it was always likely that in the event of any uprising that religious factors, social factors would come into play. So Syria was always destined to be different. Um, it was also destined to be different um, because the uh, West, uh, particularly the United States, has had this anti-Syrian agenda going back several decades and has been constantly looking for opportunities to destabilize Syria and remove the, the Baathist regime, as they would call it. And such an opportunity arose in 2011, and the Western powers lost no time in piling in on the back of some limited um, local demonstrations, in uh, particularly in, in southern Syria, in uh, Dara. And in no time, for example, the U.S. ambassador was marching up with his French colleague to Homs to participate themselves in demonstrations there. Uh, so the, 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 the die was cast from a very early stage and what may have begun as local demonstrations quickly escalated. Uh, Islamist fighters began to appear. Uh, very quickly they were armed by the United States uh, and, and other powers, particularly Gulf powers acting in cooperation with America. And in a very short time, indeed, um, the conflict had become essentially uh, 
another episode in the West's war against Syria. Since you brought up some of these uh, fighters, these proxy fighters, I'm going to jump ahead to one of my questions. And if you can tell us a little bit um, of how this war was fought. So, you know, some people say they're proxy fighters, mercenaries, these moderate rebels, jihadists. Uh, we have the, the classified documents that say, you know, the, the U.S. knew what, what it was doing. Uh, Judicial Watch um, declassified the DIA documents. Uh, we had Michael Flynn, the head of the DIA, uh, reveal this. Uh, Hamid Karzai, the former Afghan um, leader. And many other people say that the United States directly arms, funds, trains, transports um, ISIS, Daesh for, for use. Uh, is this too simplistic a way of describing the, the proxy force? Is, or how does this me mechanic work? Uh, the United States didn't look carefully at the credentials of the Islamic fighters that they were training. I don't think they wanted to know which groups these uh, fighters actually belong to. I don't say that the United States deliberately trained uh, ISIS or Al-Qaeda or Nusra fighters, but this was the overall effect of giving uh, training and weapons, more or less indiscriminately, to anybody who would take them. Many of these uh, radical fighters were masquerading under the, the brand of the Free Syrian Army. Uh, which originally began with some elements, some defecting elements of the Syrian army. But very quickly, it was overrun by radical Islamists and became the pre-Syrian army, indistinguishable virtually from Nusra, with which it was very often collaborating on, on the battlefront and these other groups like uh, Ahrar al-Sham, um, and so many others that, that, that there were literally hundreds of these uh, Islamo-fascist groups and the United States and Britain and France were up to the eyeballs in supporting them with training and weapons and direction on the field of battle. There were military control rooms uh, coordinating the jihadis in uh, northern Jordan and in southern Turkey. And you mentioned previously um, in 2011 this unrest, a, little, a bit of unrest that started in, in Syria. And, you know, we've been bombarded by a lot of propaganda. You know, we, we heard all these things about Saddam Hussein. Yeah, you know, Saddam Hussein wasn't a, a nice guy. I knew people from Iraq uh, a long time ago, and they, they did whatever they could to get out of Iraq and, and didn't want to go back. Um, but for the allegations that were launched against uh, Saddam, for example, weapons of mass destruction, that he worked with Al-Qaeda, that he was involved in 9-11, none of that uh, was true. So, you know, I'm skeptical often about these narratives that are replayed in the media. So we're told that Assad um, uh, gassed his own people and, and things like this. But apart from, you know, maybe you can you can tell me, tell us, apart from this repetition in Western media that he gassed his own, his own people, uh, has there been any evidence of, of such a thing? Uh, look, um, no, no government, no government in, in the Middle East uh, has been a paragon of, of virtue. Uh, in varying degrees, they have all been uh, authoritarian governments. And maybe there were good reasons for this. Uh, 
maybe um, Western uh, Westminster style democracy doesn't fit for whatever historical or social uh, reason. But the fact is that Assad was no worse than, for example, the King of Jordan, who we the West support to the hilt in terms of repressing domestic political activity, uh, certainly better than Egyptian, successive Egyptian uh, presidents in, in terms of uh, uh, repression, um, and much better than the Gulf uh, leaders in, in terms of encouraging pluralism and uh, some degree of, of parliamentary uh, control. Uh, and relative uh, free speech. So it, it's all relative. Uh, Assad is no angel. His uh, secret police um, did indeed carry out some excesses, but so did everybody else's secret police in the Middle East. Some say the war is over, but you say the war goes on by other means. Has President Assad won? It's uh, too early to say he has uh, won. He controls um, over 70% of the territory of Syria now, but uh, important parts of the country are still beyond his control. And uh, the war goes on by other means, particularly economic uh, means. Um, uh, also, I, I don't think that Western powers have conceded victory to uh, Assad, whatever they say sometimes, uh, out of one corner of their mouth, they say, uh, yeah, Assad has won, uh, we have to uh, move on to the next phase, but out of the other side of their mouth, they say, ah, we insist on a transition. This is the, the euphemism preferred for um, regime change. Uh, the phrase regime change uh, has become a, a, a dirty word. Uh, after Iraq, uh, after Libya. So they can't call it regime change. They call it therefore transition. And, and they say, well, we insist that there must be a transition away from Assad's uh, rule. There must be uh, UN supervised democratic uh, elections. But they never tell us uh, who, which, which uh, paragon of virtue is, is going to take uh, uh, both going to win in an election uh, over Assad, or, or, or why they believe that Assad would not win. Um, most people who actually know anything about Syria would say that he would get more than 40%, which is more than Trump or May or Macron or Merkel. And yet we set the, the bar so high that we demand that he do better than all these Western democratic leaders to enjoy the right to continue to uh, govern his country. You gave an interview uh, last year that I listened to, and you mentioned something that I uh, never thought of. Uh, and, you know, regarding going forward, the Syrian economy, uh, how another weapon of war is uh, demographics and the depopulation uh, being used uh, as, a, as a weapon, how this exodus of Syrians will have an impact on the economy and the future of Syria and will uh, weaken the state. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, uh, absolutely. The Western powers, by their actions in fueling the conflict, pumping weapons and, and, and money and effectively running jihadi armies, um, who have 
uh, ethnically cleansed huge areas uh, by provoking uh, an exodus of population in the first place. Secondly, in sustaining the existence or, and encouraging the departure of refugees by uh, giving billions to keep them in place in places like Jordan and Turkey and Lebanon, effectively the Western powers have been paying people to leave Syria and uh, accept charity in camps in these countries. And now uh, there is a deliberate uh, calculated policy to discourage these people from going back. They continue to be offered uh, amounts of money to remain, and they are given advice not to return unless they are absolutely certain that uh, their young men, for example, will not be conscripted. Uh, this is another thing that really bugs me, uh, the, the prominence given to what they call forced conscription. What this means is that young men who fled, the draft dodgers who fled Syria because they were unwilling to fight to defend their towns and villages against ISIS and Al-Qaeda, these young men who fled should be allowed back and not put in the army, not made to do their military service, like the young men who stayed behind, who heroically fought against ISIS, who died in the thousands, there were probably a hundred thousand Syrian soldiers who died over the course of this war. And what the West demands is that the young men who went to the draft dodgers be allowed to go back and, and nothing happens. They don't even have to do their military service. So in all these ways, the Western powers have connived at the depopulation of Syria and in economic terms, this is, this is dreadful. If the, a country, an economy needs uh, markets, needs people, needs uh, uh, mouths to feed and labor to uh, conduct the activities in industry and uh, agriculture. Uh, for me, the top, absolute top priority for Syria in its period of recovery is very simply to get people to go back because that will generate uh, economic uh, growth. Uh, people will create a market for services and, and products. Uh, but the West is doing everything in its power to keep Syria depopulated and therefore weak. Before I ask any more questions, um, are there any key points that you'd like to get across? Um, we haven't yet touched on the continuing military occupation of Syria by Western forces. Uh, as you know, uh, President Trump uh, promised uh, a few months ago that all U.S. forces would be withdrawn because as he said at that time, we don't need any more of these unending wars. Um, and we've more or less finished uh, the fight against ISIS, so he said, I'm bringing the troops home. But he's not. He has been forced to abandon, virtually abandon these plans. Just today, breaking news is that some US military sources are saying that over a thousand of the 2,000 troops will, will stay behind. 
And uh, this shows how uh, even a US president is not strong enough to overcome the forces of militarism, the forces of imperialism, the deep state, the permanent government in his own country. That's where we are. So the US forces are going to remain indefinitely, indefinitely in Syria. There is no horizon, no time limit suggested. Uh, they'll be there now officially for as long as there is any chance, any chance that some ISIS element might reappear. Of course, that, that is uh, a wonderful uh, condition uh, for the, uh, the Hawks, the neocons, because it will never be met. There will never be a point at which anyone can say that ISIS can't reappear. Uh, and so it is a, an excuse, a recipe for indefinite occupation of Syria. Uh, occupation of a key area where most of Syria's oil and gas reserves are. Uh, this is all part of the economic war against Syria to keep Syria weak. And I don't know if you want to comment. I think last week uh, or some days ago, the OPCW released a report on, on Duma which recent, um, essentially says that they found uh, they kept using the term alleged uh, attacks and that there's reasonable grounds that there was some kind of toxic substance used. And I think they say chlorine, but they don't come to any definitive uh, conclusion. And, you know, what can you say about that as well as the use of staged attacks or false flag operations? Um, because other accounts say that those attacks were staged uh, by another set of proxies uh, or NGOs such as the White Helmets? Well, the, the latest uh, report by OPCW uh, was transparently, transparently drafted under enormous pressure from the Western powers. Uh, the OPCW was reading between the lines. You can see that they were forced to compromise on the wording and even then, even then, they didn't come down clearly on the side of the West. They just said that there were, it was possible. They didn't even say it was probable that Assad had gassed his people. They just said it was possible. Now, this is, you know, <laughs> has almost no value at all, this statement, or that there were reasonable grounds to believe that Assad had dropped the chlorine canisters. Um, what they didn't say, and what was probably deleted in the draft, is that there were equally reasonable grounds to argue that it was all fake. Uh, they simply ignored the, uh, the, the hypothesis that the whole incident was fake. They did not demolish this hypothesis. They did not examine it. Uh, in fact, what they did not do was even more significant than what they did do. They did not try to exhume any bodies and gave no explanation for that, no explanation whatever. Um, they did not, or in fact, they refused to examine the chlorine, what appeared to be a chlorine gas canister, which was found in a jihadi workshop not far from the site of the alleged incident. They, just, they said it was just too dangerous. Really, really, they're taking us for fools. 
they, they take it. The media, for fools, and of course the Western media, lack this up uh, uncritically. And can you tell us a little bit about your thoughts on uh, the American empire, as well as well, to what extent are the wars we're seeing now, uh, or attempt at wars uh, in Venezuela, Yemen, uh, Iran, uh, to what extent are they related to Syria? And, you know, is this the US, UK, EU, GCC empire, uh, or some kind of, if you kind of visualize like a Godzilla monster roaming the earth and smashing uh, any country that is not in line and in compliance with, with their desires? Basically, yes. Um, I, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, um, but you would have to be willfully blind not to see a pattern here, a pattern of uh, imperial behavior on the part of the United States uh, permanent government. Even when they get a president, a populist, unconventional president who wants to do something outrageous, like cultivate better relations with Russia, uh, review the purposes of NATO, even when they get a president who wants to do those things, the permanent uh, government uh, finds ways to overturn the will of the people as expressed to uh, electing such a, a president. And, and therefore, um, the, the permanent state gets its way with seeking uh, unending uh, war. Um, it's clear that uh, Iran is in the firing line, and of course Trump is not without blame uh, on that. He has he, he appears to feel it necessary to support conflict with uh, Iran in order to keep the Israel lobby happy. Uh, he's in a very weak domestic position because of Russia gate. He cannot afford to upset the Israel uh, lobby. Um, and, and so, uh, if not, if not military war on Iran, and certainly economic war. At the moment, the imperial project is being pushed forward mainly through, um, economic bullying. Uh, sanctions, uh, uh, are being reapplied to Iran. Uh, sanctions are being increased on Syria. Uh, you don't hear much talk, of course, in Western media about sanctions. They, they are the invisible war, but they do at least as much damage as they've done. Uh, Venezuela, much, much the same. Uh, of course, it's, it's all part of the same picture. You're dealing with a, a permanent government of the United States here, um, and uh, a, a United Kingdom, and France, former imperial powers, which still anchor after the old days, which hang on to the coattails of the United States in order to get their their whiff of, of the old uh, imperial uh, drug on which they are which they are addicted. And uh, some news recently that uh, I think you've talked about lawfare, and recently they've discussed. Uh, attempting to try, talking about trying President Assad at the ICC, yet at the same time, the U.S. is refusing visas to ICC investigators who are looking into U.S. war crimes in Afghanistan. Can you talk about these uh, latest charges against uh, Assad? Uh, yeah, this is uh, absolutely laughable, the, the double standard. Uh, the United States, uh, Britain and France, are supporting 
organizations and individuals who want to put Assad and uh, other uh, important people in the Syrian government in the dock, uh, in the Hague, or in front of other Western-backed international courts uh, over alleged war crimes. And at the same time, the United States it regards itself as above the law. It, it not only refuses to have dealings with the ICC, it, 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 it refuses to allow ICC uh, officials to visit the United States and threatens sanctions and punishment against individuals of the, the ICC. The, the double standards are so blatant. It is laughable. It is laughable. Uh, but they still the Western media give prominence to stories about how Assad needs to be pursued through the international court. Um, apparently, we, without giving any thought to the practical consequences of what would happen if Assad was suddenly brought to the court, would Syria not collapse into anarchy? Uh, and what incentive does this uh, pursuit to the, the court give uh, Assad to compromise and share power. Uh, on the contrary, it, it highly incentivizes him to uh, not to share uh, power, not to risk being hauled off to The Hague or, or wherever. But lawfare fits into, it, 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 it's not about law, it's about publicity, it's about public relations, it's about demonizing demonizing Assad and, and other people like Maduro is a key element in the whole big picture. The Western powers have to demonize people like Saddam, Qaddafi, Maduro, Assad in order to justify what they are doing. And it's a very successful ploy. It bamboozles uh, half the world and, and keeps the, the, the media on, on side. And, you know, one of my final questions, you talk about, well, the media, what's your take uh, on the media escape? I sometimes fear that um, even what I'm doing will in the near future be shut off. And then what uh, recourse will we have? Uh, absolutely. Uh, for the last uh, 10, 15 years, the world has been enjoying uh, an unusual chance to enjoy free speech. Uh, because of the proliferation of news sources. Um, the mainstream media have become terrified of the internet. Terrified. Um, uh, the young people the world over generally don't get their news any anymore from these uh, state broadcasters like the BBC, uh, France 24, uh, CNN, um, this terrifies the mainstream media and the governments behind them, uh, with, with the result that there are now immense pressures building up on the sources of uh, internet news and, and views to clamp down. Any excuse is, is used. Just this week, we have the New Zealand incident, which is leading to pressure on Facebook. Um, any excuse is good to try to limit free speech. And what's your vision of the Middle East in the, in the future? You know, in the, in the past, we've had talk of creating 
you know, will the Middle East go towards some kind of fake Western democracy where they've talked about Arab NATO, a common Gulf currency, and you see things kind of like settling in, in that direction? Or do you see the chances for, you know, war with Iran or some wider conflict? Uh, the Gulf unity is shattered, um, mainly because of the conflict between uh, Saudi Arabia and Qatar. Qatar is another mini superpower um, because of its wealth, uh, because of its uh, gas uh, reserves, because of its uh, media uh, assets. Um, Qatar has bought its way uh, to the, the top table, and the Saudis cannot abide uh, this. So Gulf unity uh, is, is shattered for the foreseeable future. There is not going to be any sort of Gulf NATO, and this was never going to happen to begin with. Um, Saudi troops could not be relied on in the battlefield to fight on the side of Saudi Arabia. It would be just as likely that they would, uh, if they were fighting ISIS, that they would join ISIS. This is, this is why Saudi Arabia never sent troops to Syria, much as they would have liked to. They didn't dare because they knew that the troops would probably join uh, ISIS. Um, so, no, all that talk of uh, um, Arab NATO was just uh, so much uh, hot air. Uh, Syria, I'm afraid Syria is set for another couple of years of instability. Um, I see a, a, a war of uh, attrition developing in Idlib, the remaining province where the jihadis are still controlling uh, an entire Syrian uh, province. Uh, eventually, the Kurds will get tired of their, their US uh, occupiers, or, or the Arabs in that part of northeast Syria will rise up uh, against uh, their uh, Kurdish uh, and American overlords. But the American presence in northeast Syria, uh, is, its days are, are numbered, it's um, unsustainable. Uh, so eventually, within five years, um, Syria will be a, a united country. It will still be weak uh, economically, um, but uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that it will become actually a beacon of progress that it will show that it's possible for a secular regime which does not bend the knee to the West to survive and prosper. I think that's a great place to leave it on an optimistic note. And, you know, I thank you for this interview, Ambassador Ford. And even more importantly, I thank you for the, the courage that you demonstrate to us in speaking out for truth and for peace against an establishment that you know, seeks power, wealth, uh, and war, and I hope more people become inspired to follow your lead. It's kind of you to say that. Thank you very much for inviting me. I hope you enjoyed this Geopolitics and Empire podcast and interview. I would like to remind you that our website is geopoliticsandempire.com, and you can sign up for our mailing list that goes out each weekend with the latest podcast and a long collection of important news headlines. It's good to sign up for the newsletter in case we experience censorship and deplatforming. You can help the Geopolitics and Empire podcast by subscribing to and interacting with 
all of our channels such as YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Gab, Minds, and Steemit. You can also help us by leaving a rating and review on your favorite podcast platforms such as iTunes, CastBox, Stitcher, Spreaker, and so on. Finally, if you value our work and our mission and would like to see us continue interviewing experts from across the political spectrum, please consider leaving a one-time donation via PayPal or Bitcoin or becoming a regular monthly supporter on our Patreon. All the links can be found on geopoliticsandempire.com. Thanks for listening.